Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, and executive producer of both of the smash hit Bachelor and Bachelorette Series 3, Bachelor Series technically, Bachelorette Series, a social media provocateur and the author of the new anti-motivational book, You Are Not That Great, but neither is anyone else. Hello and welcome, Elon Gale. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for coming by and thank you for writing this book. I love two things. Can I, can I give you two compliments quickly? If you must. I do, I do, because I, um, I don't do that a lot, but I, I like to give them when I mean them. One, I love the way you completely disregarded the how are you because that's what people should do on the radio. I said, how are you? And you said, thank you. I love that. Two, uh, everyone has like a funny intro to their to their show. Mm-hmm. Yours is actually funny, and I really enjoyed it. Thank I re- you. I sat here and I, I I enjoyed it and I giggled to myself. Thank I, that's you know what's really funny is that I think you're like the third or fourth guest in a row who has said that, and listeners uniformly disagree with you. Really, everyone's like love the show. You just got to get through that fucking intro. <laughs> but that's just repetition. That's the same binge watching. Right. has changed the way we intake media. So. Right, it becomes I, a, the, the intro to shows becomes a song that gets stuck in your head. That's why Netflix now has that skip intro thing, yeah. which is you know it's great, I guess. But I I'm always I never have the remote near me. Well, the Game of Thrones one was very very long, and we did that this summer, and it basically became my countdown. It was like my egg timer that we would start it, and I'd be like, okay, I need to urinate, I need to pour a scotch, and I need to get ice cream, and I need to be back here in about two and a half minutes. It is long. It's really long. It is. It's actually I've never I've I uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones, which is one of the least liked things about me. Can't do it. I was that guy for so long. I can no longer you, you, judge you, that guy. I, I watched the mm-hmm. first season. I haven't seen I anything. What did you? You didn't want to do it anymore. I, 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 I have a hard time caring about dragons. I, I it's just hard for me. Yeah. I, I know that it's like I, I acknowledge that I am wrong, and I acknowledge that it's good. I am flawed in that I cannot appreciate it. I also never was interested in hobbits or trolls. It's just not for me, and I hate that about myself. I know that that's a flaw in me, that I, I don't get excited by the imaginariums of the world. Yeah, my wife in general has a problem with swords and sandals. And ah, I, I don't good. think she's a huge fan of dragons on top of that, but somehow we, we, we broke her down. Yeah. See, I have a worse problem than you, and that is that I am... I don't think I'm nearly the hater I once was, which is really saying something because I think I'm still a tremendous hater. And I did Game of Thrones. And my wife is perfect because she's an even bigger hater than I am. And we never even had to discuss it in our relationship that this thing is really, really popular. Right. Fuck that. Yeah. For no good reason. It's not like my wife is like going around pitching TV shows and getting shot down to where she'd have some sort of weird, like, logical animus towards. She just hates popular shit. So I've never... We did Game of Thrones... Which broke a a pretty compelling streak. I, I I've never seen The Wire. I've never seen. Sopranos. I just started The Wire. Never a seen a week ago. Mad Men. I was thinking 
that this summer we watch NBA and then we do TV. So after the finals, the wire is a good way to go, right? The wire is good. I also just did Westworld, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. Okay, and I didn't think I would. I keep waiting. I'm. I keep thinking I'm going to get mono. One of these days, like I fantasize about getting mono, and I'll just lay in bed for a month and watch all these things I know I should see. But see, it's weird because I I think this um, this kind of speaks to the whole idea where I don't you say this idea of hating the shows where I hate the parts of myself that can't find enjoyment, and I think that maybe is a you know I I don't think the shows are bad. I think that I am not built properly. And that's how I look at the world. I think. Well, we're going to talk about you a whole bunch, but and and and, and the, the most deeply flawed parts of you for about an hour or so. I was thinking of that even driving in this morning. Are you familiar with the artist Grimes? I know the name. She's like an indie darling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm listening to her album, and it's very good, and it's right up my alley. It's my favorite kind of art, which is somebody who knows better making trash. Like okay. somebody who has the talent to make really credible stuff who instead yeah. decides to make like K-pop garbage uh-huh. is really in my sweet spot. And I'm like, my friend told me to listen to this a year ago. And I was like, oh, I'll put it on the list. Right. Why? Because I read a New Yorker profile saying, you got to listen to this chick. She's really, really talented. Like, where where's the breakdown here? I get the New Yorker because I assume it's going to give me information that I will find relatable. And I don't have any problem with this this lady. I have no, no beef with her. And I realized listening this morning, if I had found this, like one time I got into Elvis Costello because I found his greatest hits. I, I literally found the disc in the street. And I put it in, and I was like, what is this? This is fucking amazing, because I didn't know. This is Elvis Costello. You're supposed to love this guy. Yeah. So I don't know what my thing is, that when I'm supposed to like something, it makes me, I, without even realize it, realizing it, try to find reasons not to like it. Which kind of brings me to the job for which you are best known. Mm-hmm. I am completely unwilling to give The Bachelor or The Bachelorette a chance. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> you you I, like those shows? I very much do. Okay. Yeah, I, I, have, I, I have a lot of friends that yeah. who I respect who feel the same way. I think it's uh, it's so relatable. It's just a love story, like everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like, and just like all love stories, there's ups and downs and ins and outs and all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's just a love story. And if you want to sit back and watch people who are like you, whether you want to admit it or not, trying to find. Uh, a relationship it's really fun and if you don't mm-hmm. then it's not for you you know what i mean like if you're if you're again like if you if game of thrones is your thing it's a very different thing you could like both right but I'm if, sure you, if you're do. not yeah it's uh to me it's great and do you care at all about whether or not people actually make meaningful content like what w- if i could let you choose <laughs> at the beginning of a season between a a really great television that was completely full of shit or two duds of people who found deep and lasting love? Uh, I don't think that life works that way. I think that people who are feeling real things are inherently more interesting than people who aren't. Yeah. Uh, In every situation, whether you're on a TV show or not. So I, I think that people actually having feelings, emotions, is why people watch all reality TV. That's that's my honest answer. I don't think that these aren't actors. Acting is very very hard. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I have. I sucked at it. It's really difficult. And if you try to put non actors into actory situations anywhere in life, like on your friend's uh, uh, you know um, college thesis film, you will see that it is not something that you can enjoy. <laughs> 
So obviously one of the knocks on these shows is that they seem staged and artificial. You you feel like it's more real than people give it credit for. Significantly. Okay. Uh, did you want to be an executive producer on television? And also, what is an executive producer on television? An executive producer on television is really someone that's just in charge of making sure that things continue to go well because like there's lots of trained professionals right and on a television show there's camera operators and there's audio supervisors and there's wardrobe people and there's makeup people and there are um, you know art there's an art department there's a lot of people that do a lot of crafts that are really difficult and complex that people like me don't understand or know how to do so uh, you simply are responsible for making sure that you have a great team and you make sure that team continues to do the things that they do uh on a day-to-day I, basis, does that mean just putting out fires and signing, yeah. signing union union contracts? Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. I mean, it's really it's. I I wish it was you know more exciting. And I, people, the one thing that people always find when they're talking to me about these things is that they think there's some kind of unbelievably interesting like secret I'm going to tell them, but there isn't. It's really just what it looks like. <laughs> and uh, I look. I started in I never intended to go into reality TV. I got into reality TV because I became friends with the rapper Coolio when I was 20 years old. Okay. And we started writing a horror film together. And we Did were, you smoke a lot of marijuana at that point in your life? I had actually already stopped. <laughs> I stopped smoking marijuana when I was 17 because uh-huh. I had a bad incident where I fractured a bunch of ribs. So I stopped smoking marijuana. Oh God, I wish that happened to me because I should have stopped <laughs> when I was 17. I smoked for yeah. like eight more years. No, I stopped. 17. Uh-huh. I remember I was in high school and that was it. Never again. And uh, he was smoking a significant amount of pot. I would imagine. Uh, and he lived in his uh, in his house in Ladera Heights and he had six kids I think and many of them were around and he had a cousin who was actually a great guy who was around all the time and whenever I'd go over there it was time to write we would do these little writing sessions but instead he would start cooking he would make he just start cooking dinner and it would take this it would be this long process and then more people would show up and eventually we just decided uh, to make a cooking show and so we made a show. We made a web series back in 2007 or something when that wasn't a thing. Right. I'm familiar with Cooking, cooking with Coolio. Coolio. Yeah. And so we made that in my – we just – my friend had just bought a house in Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, we went out there with two cameras and we shot a show and uh, had a lot of fun and we put on a bunch of dumbass costumes and danced around. And uh, it's – you know, then we wrote a cookbook and <laughs> then all of a sudden it got – kind of transformed into a show on a different network and I got hired to just kind of help out on that and I learned how to be in TV and you know everything in life you just kind of I think stumble into do you think so I I actually know one person who decided at a young age exactly what he was going to do with his life and he is he's almost 40 and he's just about completed the things he told me he was going to do when he was 18 and he's a horrifying man but he's the, I mean, you're he's bringing really, him he's, up. He's because, really successful. You're bringing him up, though, because he's the exception to the rule. If it was yeah. normal for people to have goals, know what they are, and then work towards them, <laughs> uh, we wouldn't. you wouldn't even mention him. That guy would, would be, be unstoppable if that, such a human actually existed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment world. Right. I knew I, I wanted to be an actor when I was young, and I was really bad at it. Also, not very good looking. Also, out of shape. You got a vibe, though. Have you always had a vibe? Uh, yeah, here's the thing. This vibe was not popular for a 
a really long time. Like what is cool now was mm-hmm. not cool. Like now everyone just thinks I jumped. I looked like I fell out of a bush for a long time. <laughs> You look like a homeless teddy bear. Right. But it used to be like, oh, that's gross. (laughs) And now it's like, oh, he's like so hip or whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, I was uh, very overweight until until recently. I see. So it just wasn't, you know, acting wasn't going to really be my thing. I was bad at it. I was also too insecure. I hated myself too much. And then- I tried writing, and I, I think I was actually a pretty good writer, but I, what everyone would say to me was they'd say, this is really good, you know, uh, maybe someone else will buy it. And I, and then my agents would read it, and they'd say, this is great, and like, who are you? Or I'd write, I wrote a novel, and I sent it to my agent, and they said, this is great, maybe one day when you're famous or something, we can get someone to read this, because who's going to read a novel by you? And they were right. That's the thing. They yeah. were correct. <laughs> no one would read it. The, the cruelest things are just casually delivered right. truths. And I just remember looking at this guy. His name was Mark, and I, he's like, he's like, he was British, and he said, like, your your manuscript is cold and d- dizzying, and I, I loved it, and no one is going to read this. And I thought, yeah, all right, cool, on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so I put myself, you know, in a world where there would be opportunities, but what those opportunities would be are you know not up to me you you surround yourself by people who are better than you doing things you want to do you try to be helpful and not an asshole Mm -hmm. and then eventually someone hires you maybe if you're lucky and that's the thing that people i think always forget is that hard work is a very is very very important and also a really really tiny part of things Mm -hmm. because like when i started in tv 10 years ago i worked really hard worked 100 hours a week and so did everybody else. And I got lucky, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's why I got the opportunities I got. And it's That just gets you the lottery ticket. Yeah. People love to think that, you know, like there's some kind of magical uh, way of, like, m- making things work or doing really well. But it's hard work is part one. And then luck is part two. And that luck can be a pre-existing. Like, you can be lucky to be born into a family that is going to go ahead and give you the opportunities you need. My or you dad can be lucky. Star Wars. Right. I mean, yeah. I happened to become friends with Coolio because I knew a dude who knew Coolio who was looking for a horror writer, and I was an unemployed horror writer, and Coolio didn't want to pay someone to write the horror film. Like, that wasn't skill. That was luck. Yeah. I got lucky in that we did his writing sessions at his house. I got lucky in that he didn't give a shit and started cooking instead. And I got lucky that a company called My Damn Channel existed for three seconds like when that happened, and they had a little bit of VC funding to pay very little money to make a TV show. So it's all luck. I mean, if that same thing had happened a year before, we would have not done it. It's luck. Well, it's also cultivating relationships I, I think, yeah, I think having absolutely that the, the but no, that's not, luck not what you know too. who you, you know what I mean. That's luck also. Like you're, you know, even mm-hmm. your personality isn't fully something that you're capable of changing. Well, uh, <laughs> if you want to go to that extent, but like my college asked me to speak one time. It's very very thin talent pool of people in the media from my college, so they 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 gave me the tap, and I told every kid there, and I wasn't just trying to be obnoxious. I was like, you'll never have four years of your life again where you don't aren't responsible for like paying bills or whatever so it, look on craigslist this is in new york i'm like look on craigslist if somebody's shooting some shit cut class and go down there and volunteer for free and try to build up the contacts because anybody who's like trying to rub two sticks together on craigslist right now pretty good chance that person might be really doing something in five years right. and you'd be better off whatever you're going to learn in communications class today is worthless compared to the the lottery ticket of that relationship make as many of those as you possibly right. can 
and that's the hard work part, right? So but yeah. you look at that, and you look at all those short films, and believe me, I did that too. I held a boom and did all that stuff. Of course, that's that's really, really smart. But 80%, 90%, 95% of those films never even got edited. And right. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's not that you shouldn't have done it. Uh-huh. It's that there's an unbelievable amount of luck involved, and uh, I, I, it, it hurts me how much people are unwilling to recognize the luck they had in their own lives mm-hmm. because people love taking responsibility when things are going well and love blaming the universe when things are going badly, and it just doesn't work like that. I read this interesting thing. I guess it was during whatever the last financial boom was, 2006 or whatever, about the track record of um, superstar CEOs when they they some company would take off and it was under their stewardship and so of course they were the super genius and then they would leave and get this huge payout and then somebody else would hire them and their batting average the second time around was no better than the average CEO because they'd never been better than the average CEO they were just the right person in the right and maybe they did bring a skill set that Absolutely. really that really matched up well with what that company needed at that moment but then, and you see it all the time in sports. I don't know if you're a sports guy where this coach has a certain kind of players and everything is amazing. And then he goes somewhere else and all of a sudden he's not a genius because what he's good at is not what his players are good at. And he's fucked and he just looks like an asshole. Like, right. like the guy that got fired before him. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's that's luck. One other quick thing before we get to your book on The Bachelor. I would just assume there's just a... there. People, when they think of Los Angeles, think that it's a bunch of plastic douchebags running around. And that's actually... <laughs> I've got this theory about like cities. Like I'm from New York, the forget about it guy does exist, and you don't really find him anywhere else. So I can see how he becomes emblematic of New York in the mm-hmm. public imagination. But in reality, that's like five ten percent. Most of the people there are just like regular people, right? And I'm constantly having to explain to people Los Angeles is. I, I have not encountered one plastic douchebag today, nor do I expect to. But I would think. The sorts of people who executive produce the sorts of shows like The Bachelor would be those sorts of people. Uh-huh. Are you not swimming in those sorts of waters? Because I can tell that you're not that kind of person at all. No. I, it is, uh, I'm from L.A. I was born and raised here. My office is f- maybe half a mile from my high school. Like Every city has a small town element. Mm-hmm. I live in a house five miles from my mother's house that I grew up in. So I don't know any of those people. I mean, I see them, sure, but most of those people, uh, most of those people, I think that have that mentality, that are that kind of person, are the version of whatever that is in wherever they're from originally, and then they come here because this is where that's celebrated, and that is one of the cultural wasteland elements of Los Angeles. Sure, is that that's really popular here. Like <laughs> I've never been to One Oak. But I've w- driven by it. The nightclub, right? And, yeah. And I used to like, go to the ice cream place in the street. I mean, mall. <laughs> when I was young, it was the key club. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and you drive by and you see it and there is a celebration of that because there's a there's a market there, right? Uh, but, but L.A. is – and the truth is is that the one thing that's really nice, in my opinion, about the people that I get to meet on The Bachelor is that they're really normal people kind of from all over the country. And – they're just kind of normal people, and it's really nice because in L.A., when you go out, like just out in the world, you meet people that are out in L.A. Like if you, you don't see me out in L.A. I don't go out. I go to restaurants, but like I, you don't see me out. I don't go out and do things because I'm not that guy, right? right. But the people that, uh, that come on, on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette generally, 
they're just normal people, and that's I think also that's why people like them because they remind them of themselves. Now, what you do after you get um, blasted with uh, you know a small modicum of fame is a different story. But I also I, that doesn't affect who you are internally. I really don't think it does. I think that people often capitalize on opportunities, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, I I get it. I, I guess mean, I was getting at more like the exact kind of people that you'd be around. Yeah, no, I don't. I just don't. I just don't know those kinds of people. I good I, for you. I, yeah, me neither. I I I work with a really small team of really capable, like nice people, and I and I like them. <laughs> I know that's I, again like I wish there was like these like behind the scenes. It's just. I don't have it. Right, right. Well, well. Then in that case, let's talk about your book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so boring. Uh, Elon Gale is my guest, and your book is "You're Not That Great, But Neither Is Anyone Else." Yeah. Uh, well, by the by, you are in addition to the bachelor stuff in the book thing. Your biographical materials describe you as a social media provocateur. Yes. Okay. Does that? not just mean plausible deniability. You can say any kind of wild shit and then don't really have to own it because you're just being provocative. Well, it's really interesting. That's a good question. Thank you. Um, It started, the reason I have used that term is because uh, I was never popular or anything on social media. I was just a guy because I am just a guy and that's a really important thing for me. I'm just a person. I can see it. You're right there. I happened to become kind of popular on Instagram and Twitter. But the reason that that happened was because of a particular incident on an airplane about four years ago. I've heard about this. So there was a guy on an airplane, and he got in a fight with a woman on the airplane, Diane in 7A, and it went viral and all of that thing. And the really interesting thing to me about that is that I was doing that because it was a holiday and I liked live tweeting these like long stories because this is before threads were a thing. Yeah. I just would tell stories on Twitter because no one would publish my writing, so I thought it was funny. And I would do them in real time and try to like make it a play along, kind of choose your own adventure thing. I would take advice from people writing in. Like it was an enjoyable thing. And I always lost followers when I did it. Yeah. Because it's annoying. Right. <laughs> And I was doing it on Thanksgiving Day because I thought, oh, it's a holiday. No one's online. I can just do this and enjoy the act of doing it under the radar. And then all of a sudden, it blew up and went crazy. The controversy that came afterwards was that people were claiming that I had like made up a, a hoax and a you know it was like a giant way to trick people. But the truth is, is that I'd been doing this all the time, and all the people that followed me, you know, there weren't that many, ten thousand maybe back then. Like they knew what I was doing, and I was doing it for the benefit of the audience. Mm -hmm. Then a bunch of news people decided that it was real and turned it into a news story before I was even done doing it. Oh, wow. And so I land in Los Angeles, and it's, you know, in the New York Times and on Huffington Post and all of that stuff. Oh, it was like that. It was So you were like that shame lady who tweeted negative shit about Africa and then landed and was the pariah of the planet? Yes, it was like, except I had Wi-Fi on the plane, but I wasn't aware. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't aware that people were actually reporting it as news. Yeah. And when I landed, people were like, "Is this real? Is this not real?" And I just didn't answer because I had not done that. I had done what I always do, which is tell stories, and 
if someone chose to report it as news, and I knew who it was. It was a reporter from BuzzFeed, and I've actually met up with her since and talked to her about what went wrong that day. And she had missed out on a scoop from a previous time. There was a guy called Rooftop Breakup. I don't know if you remember that. That was one of the first big viral sensations. Was I don't recall. A guy overhearing a breakup on a roof in New York, and he live-tweeted it, and then she had seen it, but she wasn't sure if it was real or not, so she was vetting it, and someone else broke the story, and she missed it. Ah. And so she saw my story as I was writing it, and she thought, I'm not going to miss this one. She didn't vet it. No one reached out to me. No one asked anything. Right. They now that, now, now, now that's news. how CNN does news. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so that is, that's what... That's that's why I use that term. I actually take pretty full responsibility for everything I do now. I got you. I the understand. The reason that I, I use that also is, I mean, I run a bunch of different accounts. I run these accounts, Text from Your Ex and Tinder Nightmares and Your Shitty Family. And I it's a, I guess provocateur is, a, is not the right word for me anymore. Maybe you're it isn't. A, you're, a, you're a humorist. Yeah. Right. A so, satirist. So I've never <laughs> been clear exactly what satire even means. I'm not really sure either. I just like saying it. So then, how serious are you with this book? You're not that great, but neither is anyone else. I expected it to be more jokey and lighthearted, but if you're not joking, then I'm pretty dumb. Uh, I am not joking at all. <laughs> okay. However... Mm-hmm. I do think that there is balance to be found, right? Like, I think if you read my book, yeah. you will find yourself to be really, really depressed by the end of it because it really speaks to the hopelessness and the lack of autonomy that we all have. Let me really quickly interrupt you. I think I think this is pretty much, in a nutshell, the quote is, positive thinking is for assholes, negative thinking is for winners. Does that yeah. about sum it up? Yes. Okay, so and I And I really do believe that. Yeah. I do believe that positive thinking is really problematic. I really think that the self-help genre has done a really good job of making people feel good about themselves instead of actually improving their lives. So feeling good about what you have and where you are feels nice, but it doesn't actually impact you. So, Do you think they're doing that on purpose? Or I that, do, okay. I, because I think it's easy. It's really easy to tell someone they're really good and make them feel good. Comfort food then, for the soul. Right, and then they, they feel nice. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not helpful. It doesn't help you progress. So if you want to feel nice about your life, you should not read my book. No. If you want to improve your life, I have some helpful suggestions Mm -hmm. full of curse words and, and kind of like angry rants also. Yeah, it's see I read an interview with you where you were saying that you would write for like 10 hours at a time uh-huh. and it reads like that. I I It's very, like a, it's like a fever dream. It, well, my that's the thing is that you know, I think you can tell now. A minute ago I was sitting here kind of perfunctorily answering your questions mm-hmm. and now you can see that I'm getting kind of riled up and it's because I actually give a shit about this. Okay. Like <laughs> So I'll, tell, uh, I'll make sure everybody skips the first 26 minutes. <laughs> I really 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 care for some reason about the way other people internalize self-help it really bugs me watching people kind of become content with their own lives when i actually feel like people have significantly more abilities in them than they're letting out okay at the risk of getting too deep why would that bother you that much i mean you don't care that the overall 
productive output of the world goes up or is it you're projecting because you feel so strongly about that with yourself that you're putting it on other people do you have, a lazy, a, do you have, a, do you have a lazy girlfriend no <laughs> uh it's probably a combination right yeah uh, i mean i think on the one hand i am projecting my own inability to ever be happy with any of my accomplishments because like you know you have me here on your radio show which mm-hmm. i guess implies in some ways that i'm doing well uh, I'm doing something interesting. I don't particularly feel that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, maybe you, I'm like, not. Maybe I'm wrong. You've heard the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the same time, I actually, I really, really, really like people because I feel like people are complex and vibrant and interesting, and I feel like they dumb themselves down. So it makes me crazy to be around human beings that aren't living up to their potential because like I love them weirdly like I know that inside of that person there's a whole lot of fucking good interesting stuff and opinions and ideas and I think those are all worthwhile and it makes me nuts that people sit around not being their best selves and I'm always trying to become better I'm always trying to be a better version of myself I'm not completed I'm not that great to use a phrase yeah plug away but really, like, I don't like being around other people that aren't that great because I know that they they have the ability. They have the ability. That inside of them, there's this drive and this power and this potential. And I've seen it so many times where people just, like, kick themselves in the ass and go fucking do something. And I want everyone to do it. And I don't know why. Has the, had the way the world is gone down the last year or two made you think that maybe you've just been overestimating your fellow adults? No, because I actually feel like all of those, if you put me in a room with people that disagree with me violently about everything, I feel confident that we can come to agreements. I really, really do. Because I think at the core, we all are really similar. And we may not agree on the specifics of things, but I think that when it comes down to it, when we all want better shit for the world around us. We all want the world to be better around us Mm -hmm. because we think we deserve that for some reason, but we all want the world to be better around us. And there are ways of talking to people and, and relating to them and not necessarily chastising and lambasting them that you can really find common ground. And a bunch of people are also fucking idiots. That's true also. Nobody's debating that. Right. That's also true. A bunch of, And a bunch of people probably think I'm a fucking idiot. And I think they're wrong. But mm-hmm. that doesn't matter what I think to them. Right. <laughs> so you've seen people who have gotten really down on themselves. And I think that there is... I think everybody would accept as a basic principle that... you. I read Sarah Silverman said, and I don't know if she made this up or not, you don't get what you want in life, you get what you believe you deserve. And I've I heard feel that. like this yeah. kind of ties in in a certain way. You go, oh, well, I I, I want, I really want uh, this or I want that. And then something happens in your life and all of a sudden that thing that you wanted becomes the thing that you need. Right. And the way that you approach it, you know, nobody's, unless that's that's when sharpening pencils and cracking your knuckles before you get to work goes out the window. Right. When you desperately need to do it. So I guess what you're talking about is just manufacturing that need. Right. Or just acknowledging that it's there. Because I yeah. think that everyone has that, that drive in them. Or not everyone, most people. But that's, that's the thing is that I, I think that there are a, when I was writing this book, the first thing I did was say, okay, what if I'm fucking wrong about everything? What if this is just me? This is totally wrong as a direction. I'm giving people bad advice. And so the first thing I did was I just talked to everyone I know who I think is doing better than me. 
like people that I think, wow, that guy is doing what he wants to do or that woman's doing what she wants to do, which is not necessarily to say that other people would want it either. It's not necessarily aspirational for others, but just people doing the things that they want to do and doing those things well. I hate to say it. They're living the life they imagine. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say to them, like, what were your driving forces? Like, go back, take me back. Let's talk about, you know, when you were young. Let's talk about before when you were struggling. What were the things that got you to write that thing that broke you through? And I, I just had dinner this last week with my friend Trayvon Free. And I don't know if you read it in the book. He is a, he's a writer. He's working on a show for HBO right now. He's won two Emmys. And when I met him, he was not doing that. And he was not doing well. And neither was I, frankly. And he tells this story about literally having $4 in his bank account and about the time that he didn't get the job at The Daily Show for the third year in a row or whatever that he eventually got. And all of the things that led him to be the person that he is today, who's a guy that like I love as a friend and admire as, as someone who's like really doing all the things he always said he wanted to do. I look at him, and his thing was vengeance. He was all about vengeance. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. Right, because, yeah, th- this his is the thing revenge was like, guy. People told me that I couldn't do it. I'm going to fucking show them. It wasn't about, like, believing in himself, and it wasn't about, like, feeling nice about his life and going, maybe this is just a, you know, part of my journey. It was about really <laughs> showing people yeah. that, that, he, that they're wrong. And that was the thing. And I found that everyone I talked to had some version of that. Everyone I talked to, Bobby Kim, the guy that founded the hundreds, it was all about this like unbelievable rage he had as a middle child and an immigrant in this country, like as a as a young Korean person in Orange County where everyone was white and no one would listen to him. And he had all of this anger to get out and he got it out. And now you can't walk three blocks without seeing a T-shirt he designed like it was never it was never like I read the secret and I manifested my life. It was right. never that. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Yeah, I, I burned folded it, it up. Yeah. I, I saged my room. Yeah. It's never that. I and here's the thing. Uh-huh. You're always gonna find someone that goes like, Well, I'm living, you know, mm-hmm. I'm living my best life and I really feel if, fine, fine. If that works for you, great. Then you don't need this shit. Conor McGregor, the fighter, I think, mm-hmm. is is all about you know, I said I'm going to have a Lamborghini, and yeah. I was I was I was on the dole, and three years later I had a Lamborghini. So you know, there's many ways to skin this apple. Absolutely, but I, I you know, Con- I don't know much about fighting, but yeah. I bet you there was some anger uh, right. inside yeah. Conor McGregor yeah. that led him to be such a good puncher. Right. Well, and your your friend uh, had to believe in himself strongly enough to get angry at people telling him he couldn't do it. Right. So there obviously is. A but there's also that, yeah. the doubt, right? The doubt is the thing that you feel. Oh, the right. believing in yourself isn't <laughs> actually helpful. That's a great point. You feel the doubt and then you fight it. What if they are you right? You fight your way out of it because they usually are. That's the thing. Oh, right. And that's what you're not going to get from a self-help book. That's what you're not going to get. Everyone it... telling you you can't do it may well have a point. Yeah, of course. You're ever. I have failed at almost everything I've tried in my life. Mm-hmm. All of my relationships so far but one have failed. All the things I I'm, have a career now that's really nice, but I failed at all the other ones along the way. Like it's life is consistent failure with occasional, if you're lucky, a break from that. And life is a, a you know our bodies feel pain much easier than they feel really anything else. Like we're not designed for a lot of good. We get good out of it, and that's wonderful. That's part of being human is choosing a direction and trying to find things that work for you. But we're not here to have a good time. <laughs> I don't think we are. So to what extent uh, do you feel like this book is aimed at young people 
millennials because I'm raising a six year old and she should read it immediately. Uh, well, it's a he, but I'm gonna. She have should a- read it. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. I've I mean, made a decision. I'm standing by anyth- it. <laughs> anything is possible. I swear. I have. I have people. I know people who had uh, who wanted a, a girl or a boy, and they and then they got the opposite of what they wanted. And it's like, well, you know, you, you still have the last chance lottery. If this yep. kid may well just declare in five years that you got what you wanted, and it just took a little while for it to reveal itself. But the this kid doesn't. My son does not face a lot of adversity, and mm-hmm. I think it, ad- that grain of sand in the oyster can be if it doesn't destroy you it, it is the thing that I, I feel motivated by yeah when not, I when I, I was not have a, a disadvantaged upbringing but I definitely feel motivated by my childhood and I'm trying to tell him I'm telling him to hit a baseball two days ago and he's just like smacking a thing and I'm like think of a thing that makes you angry and then pretend that the ball is that th- it's like I'm training like training like a really really untalented Jedi <laughs> 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 You can, yeah. you can, and do you feel like, do you encounter a lot of young people? I don't meet a lot of them, so I'm just talking about the cliche of people in their 20s, whatever, who who are soft, who well, aren't motivated by anger or revenge. So this is, here's what, here's, the answer is yes, but, but firstly, I think it's important to acknowledge that I think almost everyone is in a grave deal of pain at all times. I think they're doing a really good job generally and societally of not acknowledging it. But I think that life is really, I really do. I really think that everybody, most people are really in a a great deal of pain most of the time. (laughs) I really do. Uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of sadness and we do a really good job societally of helping each other repress it. And we, we fill our time and our bodies with things that make us feel better. But I think that inherently all of us are really sad. I do. Now, this is like a Buddhist thing. If you believe that, then this is perfect, right? But if you if you don't, if you don't tap into that sadness, if you don't have that stuff, you can create it by kind of just exposing yourself to more of the world, right? The more you become aware of the world, <laughs> the more you realize that the world is a terrible, terrible place. And, you and if can, you're not facing enough criticism and naysayers, then just just put yourself out there a little bit more and you'll get some of that a- as well. Absolutely. Or just research any country that isn't ours for 10 seconds. And, you know, actually there's many countries that are doing significantly better at the moment. But research many countries that are not doing well and where people are not free and don't have the kind of freedoms that we have that we take for granted. Start with Syria. Yeah. And you will instantly begin to kind of see that there is tremendous amounts of things that you can uh, tap into and and acknowledge that, that life is hardship. And you can... There's two ways of living, right? Mm-hmm. There's one way where you can try to get away from the bad feelings, and that's okay if that's your choice. I think it's crazy. But if you take those bad feelings that are inherent to being a human and use the energy that comes from them, you can accomplish a lot more. That's the thing, is that like when you get, when you get angry, mm-hmm. you feel it. Yeah. There is, a, there is an energy in it, and you can, you know, when I started, uh, you know, I remember the first time I tried getting in shape, it was unsuccessful, but it like almost worked. It was a girlfriend broke up with me, and I was walking home from a bar half drunk, and I got home, and I was crying, and I was crying, and I sobered up, and I put on my shoes at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I started running. And I'd never been able to run before. I'd never made it more than a quarter mile, but that night I made it about a half mile before, <laughs> which isn't very far. But for me, it was a lot. And there's there's... There's energy in those emotions, oh, yeah. in anger and in fear and in, in jealousy. Like, I'm a super jealous person. 
there's a lot of energy there, and you can either let those feelings consume you, or you can pretend they don't exist, which is what most people do, or you can fucking use them. They're really, really, they mean that, that shit lives in your brain. It, you are, it rents space. It's there, and you can use it. And that's the thing about writing this book is that, like, I would just wait. I would think, and I would wait until I couldn't fucking take it anymore, and then I would stand there and put on really bad music that I hated, and then I would write. And I would stand there rocking back and forth like a crazy person, and that's where you get the kind of the energy of the book, which sounds like me screaming at you. If you hear the audiobook, it's literally four hours of me screaming at you. Is it real? Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> and I was in the booth with the director in New York going like, and I was like, can I tone it down? And they're like, no, no, keep it going. People love people screaming at them in their morning commute. They're like, no, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Oh, yeah, I had this thought. Has anybody reached out to you to, like, do a guru thing out of this? Because I had this crazy thought that <laughs> you're familiar with Neil Strauss, right? Yeah. So Neil Strauss, very talented writer, really interesting angles for his books and very well executed, goes undercover, whatever, goes and lives with a bunch of pickup artists and writes the book about it. It's a tremendous book called The Game. And then seven years later, I move into some apartment and I'm still getting mail from the previous tenant and he's getting a newsletter from Neil Strauss Mm -hmm. about how to fuck that girl by doxing her. I don't know whatever the fuck the the, the the phrases are. It wouldn't be the most insane thing to me if five years from now, ten years from now, this is your thing, that you're teaching people how to... It wouldn't be the craziest thing for me either, because I really feel passionately about it. I can tell. And I really like doing it. And, like, you know, if anyone wants to go to lunch and sit there and talk about how to achieve their goals, I like talking about it. I may not be helpful, but I'll do it because I find it interesting. And I find not that many things interesting that I'm also kind of an expert at. And I'm an expert, not so much because I've lived it, but because I've just talked about it for so long to so many people and just found over and over again the results are the same. What are you going to do when the Bachelor thing goes away? Uh, That's a great question. I mean, I have... have, Look, the Bachelor was around long before I was a part of it. Uh It'll be around long after I'm a part of it. Okay, I see. Um, You know, it does not hinge on me. I'm one of many, many pieces in a giant puzzle. Right. and I, I what do you think, want to do? What do you what what is your anger pushing you toward? Yeah. What do you good, really want? I, I really yeah, Why I'd does like it get, seem like you've never contemplated this question? Well, because I have found over and over again that I don't I'm not super successful at having plans. Mm-hmm. What what works for me is getting excited about a project and then doing it. Like just doing it and getting get kind of in the same way that like I conceived of this book. And it was sold like maybe three weeks later. And it that's just how it goes for me. So whenever I like think of something I want to do, like I'm I have all kinds of little projects I'm working on. And when one of them feels right, I'm sure I'll do something with it. Um, but I, I, I think I know better than to make too many plans right now. You okay, know? <laughs> I get that. I, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I think you, you probably know yourself in the way that it's likely to, to work for you. Because I would assume the person who wrote this book has some master, a master plan. I wouldn't assume that a master ambition. Yeah, that is the thing that you go. You know, on paper, you're very successful. You are very successful, but you still wake up at two a.m. and go <gasps> every day. I don't. I don't, but I still don't have, and I just assume that there's an end to that sentence. There isn't, because I I don't ever plan on, nor do I think it's possible for someone of my personality type to escape it. 
I could tell you what my plan is, yeah. and five years from now I could accomplish it. I could come back right here, and I will tell you that I feel the same way I do today. I understand. I understand. Yeah, you stay hungry. Uh, are you still an alcoholic? Depends how you look. I mean, am I still? Do I still consider myself an alcoholic? Yes. Let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Do you still drink a lot? I don't drink at all. Oh, okay. I haven't had a drink in three and a half years. Okay. Yeah, I was a very heavy drinker, not in the fun way. I was a very heavy alone drinker, um, and it was. Uh, and I didn't have the, – the hard part for me was I didn't have the usual story, right, where, like, someone gets a DUI, someone gets into a bar fight, someone cheats on their girlfriend. None of that should happen to me. I got really lucky. I also never drove when I was drinking. That was just a thing that I was aware of. And this is back when that, there was cabs, which was very expensive. So that kept me home drinking alone most of the time. Yeah. Um, and then I got some physical symptoms where I started turning yellow and physically my – side of my uh, rib cage kind of turned yellow and I'd been warned by a friend at a party who happened to be an ER doctor that if I ever turned yellow I was going to die pretty soon from liver failure and I turned yellow and I was in the shower and I saw it and I didn't know how long it had been there because I was not taking any care of myself whatsoever and I said and it was really interesting for me because I had thought about quitting drinking so many times and never and I would do things like I'll only drink on planes like that. And then I would book eight plane tickets. <laughs> like, I would do shit Yeah, like when that. you're making the deals. Right. I love the deals. Yeah. And so finally I was in the shower and I was like, well, listen, at this point it really is a decision of, like, being alive or being dead. And that was not an easy, easy decision because, like, I had never existed as a sober person. I'd never, like, been to a concert or been to a movie or anything sober, and it sounded terrible. And then I somehow came to that decision and I got out of the shower and I haven't had a drink since then. Um, where were you professionally at that point? Uh, Were you doing okay? Like, yeah, I was doing pretty well. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. So it wasn't like in that no, enabled you no, to. No, I was. I was totally no. I was doing fine. You know, I was. I managed. People didn't know I was an alcoholic. Really, I I managed to really keep it under wraps. Yeah, there's because, way, there's ways to do that. I used to have yeah. my like my shit faced friends. Right. And I most think of I the just time smelled heavy... like booze a lot. <laughs> But I, you know, again, like, I never cheated on a girlfriend. I never got in a bar fight. I never, I just yeah. didn't, I was just, I would just sit there and drink and smoke cigarettes and feel bad about myself. Yeah, you just, you just drank too much. That's yeah. all. Being sober is kind of fun, right? Like, you could, oh, you're not sure yet. You know what it is? Are you sober? No, but I will do, I, every now and again, I'll just, you know, take a, a month off or whatever. I can only drink so much anyway. It doesn't work for me anymore, and I got a kid and shit like that, but. I, we, my wife and I did like a cleanse thing. I don't want to. I don't want to get yeah. into it. And so we, here's here's what it is: yes. is that it's it's more everything. So it's more fun to do some things, and it's also way more boring to do other things. It's just more everything because you have to be fully aware. Like you used to be able to go to a bar and have some drinks and just kind of zone out. You yeah. can't do that. You're hyper aware of everything around you. And yeah. I'm Israeli, so I'm like hyper vigilant and like always afraid of my surroundings. So like I'm always very, very there. Yeah, you're a high strung guy. I can see where alcohol would have been would have been good for you. <laughs> really, in, in, in a certain and for sense. nice people around me too, because I yeah. <laughs> just okay, oh fine. Okay, yeah, I'll listen to you now. But I was the same guy where I oh, I could never imagine doing fill in the blank without a cigarette. I could never imagine doing blah 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 without a right. drink. And now I it's very very powerful to me moving forward that during this brief period of time I went on a work trip and I was in a foreign city and we didn't have all that much work to do. And if this is not the time to drink, right. I don't. But I was just like. I just made a promise to myself I'm not doing anything for two months to the extent that they would leave a chocolate underneath my hotel pillow. And I was like, 
fuck that chocolate. Right. Nobody would ever know if I ate that chocolate, but I'm not eating chocolate right now, goddammit. And at the end of the weekend, I just realized I had a very fun weekend. Yeah. And so what role, what critical role was alcohol playing in all this? Maybe it did play a critical role when I was 23 years old. I don't know. That's entirely possible. But I'm fucking 40 years old, and I can actually have fun sober, and that takes a lot of the power away from alcohol once you realize that. So maybe here's a here's a maybe a dumb way of looking at it. Uh-huh. But when someone says you're an alcoholic, what I always say, like when I'm really thinking about it, is that I'm just an addict, right? And so when I was able to detach from alcohol, what I became addicted to was kind of the weird, like, I can do it feeling of sobriety. So yes. it's oh, not yeah. that I'm not an alcoholic anymore. It's that I'm addicted to getting my days. I'm addicted to, like, adding on. I never did any program or anything, so I don't know that language. But, like, I'm addicted to not drinking in yeah. the exact same way that I was addicted to drinking. You're addicted to the streak. Yeah. Like, yeah. before, it was like I would look at alcohol and I'd say, I'm going to have that. And I look at alcohol and I go, I would never have that. And it's not necessarily a healthier mindset. <laughs> it's just that it's better for my body. Yeah, it's the exact opposite side of the same coin. Right. I have to let you go in a minute, and I really, really wanted to touch on um, a uh, – I can't think of the cliche, so I won't waste time with it. But I, like you – hate it when people say everything happens for a reason. Yeah, because it's the death of everything. <laughs> well, it's the most arrogant thing I have ever heard. Like, I'll bring up Syria again. Their children are right. being slaughtered as we speak, but when you didn't get that promotion, it happened for a reason yeah, there's because an ordained... three months later, you got this even better job. Well, everything happens for a reason. Fuck your right. reason. Yeah. That is that assumes that you that the things that you want in life are far more important to God than things that other people vitally need. Right. And the argument someone would have with that is they uh-huh. say like, well, I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about the universe. And what I would say to that is that I think it is really arrogant to believe that the universe cares about you. Because if you believe the universe cares about you, you must believe the universe does not care about others. Well, because, right. I don't care if right. you call it God or exactly. the universe. It's the same. Exactly. I just wanted right. to say it because that's the initial instinct many listeners will have. Well, mm-hmm. like, that's not what I mean. The universe has a way of of channeling its energy. And, and the universe, and this is part of the book too, the universe doesn't have plans for you. And the, the universe is not waiting for you to like get in the right headspace to give you the opportunities you want. You have to do it. You have to do it on your own. And when people say everything happens for a reason about things like death, it's really, really sad to me because they're taking someone else's entire existence and like boiling it down into a lesson for them to be learned. And like if I get in a car accident leaving here and I die, I want people to say, wow, everything happens because someone drove poorly because that's what it will be. It <laughs> yes. will not be because there's a plan. Although it would be, I'd be honest, very funny if that happened now. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? You think the news covered that plane ride oh that you were God. on that one time? Wait till it you would see. Be like, I mean, I don't want to die driving away from here, yeah. but it would be hilarious. Yeah. I don't want you to die at all, but if you have to die anytime soon. Yeah. You know, it would be good for this show. For Yeah. And just, just in service of narrative in general. Right, right. Well, thanks. It's been really, really nice would to meet you. Would you feel bad if I died? Of course, and- I would feel awful. 
Really? I would capitalize on it, but I'd feel really bad about I capitalizing on it. I appreciate that you'd capitalize on it. You wouldn't feel bad about capitalizing You'd feel bad separately would, from capitalizing I would, on it. I would feel terrible, please. These are just jokes. All it's right. just radio. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Elon Gale. The book is called You're Not That Great, But Neither Is Anyone Else, and you are at the year of Elon on all applicable social media, yes? Follow me on my Peloton bike at the year of Elon. Are you for real? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs>